Hello and welcome to Book Bragger Podcast. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Mark Ishiro. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for joining me. We are here today to talk about Into the Light out March 26th. And hopefully more. With that said, let's jump into the questions. Mark's holding it up there. <laughs> All right. So what can you tell us about Into the Light? Okay, so this is also a challenge because, as you know, I don't want to, there's, you don't want to spoil this book. It's best to go into it without knowing much about it. But what I have sort of been pitching it as is it is a story about two boys whose lives are intertwined because of a cult. One of them is in it and doesn't quite know that he's in it. And not only that, he doesn't remember his time before he arrived in it. The other one uh, is was cast out of it and has been trying to locate it because his sister is in it and he suspects she may have recently passed, but he's not quite sure. So the story is about how their two lives collide. It is an exploration of faith, of being what is a, a term, if you don't know, is called a transracial adoptee, when you are adopted out of your you know, racial or ethnic culture and into another one, which is very much my experience. And it is also a slow burn, a slow burn, slow burn, slow burn thriller that I'm very, very proud of. I hope it's gonna mess up a lot of people. It definitely does. Like, <laughs> definitely shadowing. It's yeah. a shadowing book when you get to the end. I appreciate that. So, how was writing um, into the light different from your first attempt at writing a novel? Oh my God! So it the timing of this is really interesting because I was actually able to get some of my childhood stuff from my parents' house. And technically, the first novel I wrote, I was like 10 or 11. I used to be a huge fan of the Goosebumps books, and um, I basically wrote knockoff versions of them. Um, so first of all, I know what I'm doing a lot more than I did when I was 11. Um, I think the, but the first real novel that I count was one I wrote when I was 19 years old. Um, I, I, I think a lot of it just comes with experience, you know, Into the Light is my sixth book. So it really is like, I just know what I'm doing more. I have a sense of what kind of styles I like to write in. I have a sense more of my own process, which is a thing we weren't really taught in school. Like, how do you actually write a book? Um, what is a writing process? So that's different. Um, I think this is also different even from the published books that I have in a lot of ways. I've never tried something as ambitious as this. And and previously, Each of Us the Desert had been my big, like, I'll be super ambitious and literary with this book, and then I'll never do it again. And surprise, here we are, where I just can't write anything normal. But I'm okay with it. I like it. I like, um, you know, being ridiculous and kind of over the top. So even in that respect, it's very, very different from some of my recent novels. So that leads me on to wonder what came first for you in terms of writing this book, storyline or subject? Oh, it ha uh it would have to be subject technically, um, because the first draft of this or first draft of the outline or whatever was actually a comedy, if you can believe that. It's very much not a comedy in every respect now, but the subject matter was was kind of similar. Um there was very much a strong religious element. It was also dealing with, you know, sort of something that was sort of cult adjacent. Uh, it was my attempt, or it has always been my attempt to actually write about my childhood. 
that all my other books sort of dance around and I never d- addressed it head on. So, you know, in that sense, I would say the subject matter actually came first, which is pretty rare for me. I'm usually a story, plot line, character first kind of person. I don't really go into a book being like, this is the subject I want to write about. This is the only sort of exception to that. So that leads me to wonder, like, do you plot your books or do you just go with the flow? Oh, I heavily, heavily outline. I have not written a book or short story by just going with the flow in a really, really long time. Uh, I would probably say maybe the first draft of Anger is a Gift, my first published book. I attempted to do that and halfway through realized it wasn't working because I didn't know where I was going. So I am absolutely a plotter. I have absurdly long, extremely detailed outlines. And for me, the most important thing is the ending. That is the thing that I, I need to figure out before I start. And usually the first thing I actually write is the last line. Um, I want to know what I'm building towards in a book. I want to have a payoff that is earned. So I like writing that first so I know what I am sort of writing towards throughout the process. So in this book, you deal with dark topics such as parental abuse, religious abuse, teenage homelessness, and predatory adults. Why do you feel it is important for this story to be told? Ooh, I think on a personal level, it was very cathartic. It was very relieving to be able to talk about a lot of the stuff that I went through as a you know as a kid and as a teenager in fiction because even though there are things like you said there are things that are very dark and very upsetting in this book there is still distance between what I experienced and what I created for these characters and I think that distance allows it to be easier to talk about these sort of things I have at least for me my sort of mantra about what I am doing when I write books for kids, both middle grade and young adult, is I'm always imagining the sort of books that I wish I had read when I was young as well. And a lot of us do that. It is a very, you know, personal journey for us. So in that sense, it feels important to me because I am writing for, you know, the kind of people who are going through experiences like this. And that actually has seen the few people who have read it and who have started tagging me reviews and and whatnot, a lot of people are being very vulnerable in their reviews and saying there are things in this that I recognize from my childhood that I either haven't processed, that I've been ignoring for years, or, you know, or that I deeply, deeply recognize. So, you know, I don't always necessarily write, you know, like I said, I don't necessarily write with a subject in mind. This is the one sort of time that I did that. And I think in that sense, it is very intentional. I, I I said on Twitter recently within, you know, last month or two that this is my most didactic book, that I am very much trying to make a point and I don't like normally doing that with fiction. So in that sense, that's why it's important to me. I am trying to make a point about what a lot of us go through when we're younger. From what we publicly know about you, we can mm-hmm. understand that some of your experiences are the same as Manny's. In yeah. what ways are you similar and different to your main character? And did you have to think about how much you, of yourself you were putting into the book? Oh, that's a good question. I think more than any character I've ever written, Manny is probably the closest to who I am. That being said, there were still things I did differently. I mentioned earlier that I do like to have distance between myself as a person and, and fictional characters. That is important to me, both in crafting it. And I also never want a book to be my identity or my, a piece of art to be fully who I am. And also to hinge my identity on a work of art. So I, I think um, a great example is Manny's sort of 
brashness. He's a he's in a very abrasive character at times. He isolates immediately. He is not trusting at all. Whereas when I think about myself as a teenager going through something unfortunately very similar to him, I was constantly looking for approval, acceptance. I was very much seeking that out, whereas Maddie has no interest in it at all. And so that was a challenge at times because having to think of a character acting selfishly rather than um, you know, doing anything that would be altruistic or to be seen as helping other people or letting other people in. That was very difficult and very challenging at times, but that was like a key thing that I wanted to make that was a difference uh, between the two of us. And also I think it makes for a more interesting narrative, especially as you compare his ex familial experience with the Varelas and how those two differ. I needed him to be just very, very different from these other people he was meeting. Um, you know, other than that, I, it's, it is, you know, I mentioned before we started recording, you're my first interview I'm doing from this yeah. book. So it is interesting because I've sort of been mentally preparing myself for like, wow, you're going to have to be very vulnerable in a lot of these interviews. So, you know, other than that, it is a very autobiographical book. It is very much about my experience with, you know, sort of small insular religious communities and the way they sort of crush, they can crush your spirit if you're different. So that is, that's many, and that is me through and through. That is very, very similar. So with the dark topics in the book, do you think that we give little attention to what teens can handle? And do you think that there is ever a point mm -hmm. when a story can become too dark? I think for any, any, I, and I, I think that's the brilliance of, you know, teenagers, I do so many school visits, you know, here in the States, is that a kid can very much be like, mm, this is no, this is not for me. And I don't write with the sense of wanting to write a book that everyone likes, or everyone is going to enjoy or is for everyone. You know, I did something different with Into the Light, and my publisher was very supportive of it, which was to put a content warning at the beginning, which I've never done. And if there's a content warning, it tells you to go to the back to get more specific warnings. So I actually think this book will be too dark for some kids, and I'm okay with that. I've made my peace with it. It is the art that I wanted to create. But the best thing about it is that kids can self-select. They can choose whether they want to read it. I am also writing for kids who want subject matter like this. I... No, I've met so many kids over the years who want thrillers, who want horror novels, who want dark topics, who want books that are going to make them feel a thousand emotions or make them want to, you know, throw a book across the room. They want that. They, that is their both their escape, but it can also be a catharsis. I talk a lot about how horror for me is controlled anxiety. I know it's not real, so I can feel anxiety and I can feel scared, but it's actually cathartic for me to release those feelings. So, yeah, I certainly think this book is going to be too dark for 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 people, but um, I didn't want to compromise the vision I had for it. You describe this book as a thriller with elements of horror. Do you think that there is little separation between genres? Oh, 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 uh, oh my gosh, that's a great question. I, I think there actually is a difference between a horror and a thriller. I think there was an earlier version of Into the Light that had a different character besides Manny that was a little more on the horror edge. And that was because it wasn't as much as right now what Into the Light feels like to me as, you know, especially through the edits, is this slow building disaster to the things 
that I'm, you know, the thing. Um, I think earlier versions were much more about looking horror in the face. And there were much more this sense of the danger was more obvious. And and I had a great conversation with my editor where she was like, I don't think it's working. And I don't think the you relying specifically on some of these horror tropes is actually doing the story justice. So we pulled back on it and went the thriller route. Um, and so for me, the key difference is, well, first of all, I think there is a slight speculative element versus before there was a huge one. Um, and so we dialed that back for a reason I can't talk about for spoilers. But I think that for me, the difference between the two genres depends on what is shown and what isn't. I think you don't see the horror of what is actually happening in reconciliation. You just get pieces and pieces and pieces. Um, and I think that builds into the sense of this slow burn thriller. Um, that being said, you know, I think, you know, horror, thr horrors, horror movies or horror novels, thriller nor movies or thriller novels are very close in that they both can be very exciting and very frightening. And I think that is an aspect of it. But it was actually a conversation we literally had, like how much of horror do we want to do versus how much thriller that we want to do. Um, and I think it ended much more on the thriller side. You have mentioned that multiple books of yours have been banned. And with this one, you threw that all away and just wrote, knowing that it could get banned. Do you feel that it is important to write stories to start a conversation? Ooh. Yes. Yeah, I'll... Oh, that's interesting. Yes, I'll say yes. First of all, I think it is a fantastic thing. And one of my favorite things about getting to do school visits and visit kids who have read my books is the conversation aspect. You know, where these kids are very curious. Why did you write this? Why is this happening? You know, getting a chance to talk about subjects that may be difficult to talk about otherwise, but in the context of a book can be a lot easier. So yes, in that sense. The, you know, when I made the comment that I I wrote this book knowing it would be banned, that also came from a place of not wanting to censor myself and knowing that I was going to be writing about a topic that we don't see terribly often. Well, you know what? I was going to say we don't see terribly often in young adult fiction, but lately we have. And I am not surprised why a lot of American authors are writing about things like religious persecution and oppression and fascism, like what is going on in our country. It is certainly a reflection of that. And that is very much the space that I was writing into the light. I, you know, I just wanted to write a book that felt unhinged and didn't feel like I was pulling any punches. I didn't want to write a book, ultimately, that didn't feel honest. And I think that was the great thing my editor at Tortine, Miriam Weinberg, helped me get to, is get to a place of honesty and to just be honest to teenagers about my experience, the experiences of others. So yeah, I think ultimately the answer to your question is yes. It is important to write or create art that 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 fosters conversation. Yeah, so do you think that Manny's experiences and mental illness affects mm -hmm. the way he acts? Yes, though he doesn't know it. And I think that was the hard thing to capture the first few times around. This book went through a lot of edits, is I actually didn't want him to be fully aware of what was actually happening. Um, you know, like, for a different reason, but like the Moss, the main character of anger is a gift 
uh, Manny is dealing with PTSD and having PTSD from his childhood in particular. And one of the ways that manifests is it creates behavioral traits um, that you literally cannot notice until someone points it out to you. And one in particular that Manny doesn't even know he's struggling with is his constant desire to isolate. The second anything gets difficult, the second anything looks unsafe, he's like, bye, I'm out. And we see it very, it happens very, very early in the book. And then it happens multiple times. Like anytime something's difficult, he's out. It is a form of self-preservation, but there comes a point when those things that you do, and this is a thing that I learned through therapy, is those things that you do to preserve yourself can actually harm you. And they're, they might be preserving yourself in the short term, but in the long run, they're not helping you. And so that, yeah, absolutely. He has no idea what he's doing and it takes some events for him to start beginning to be aware that he has this tendency um and that this tendency isn't actually helping him so yes they definitely that is affecting him a lot of the book shows manny in reconciliation which he attends with his sister manny is against the idea of reconciliation and refuses to believe that god has anything to do with him However, his sister, Elena, is very much for the idea of Manny's reconciliation. How do you think this affects their relationship? And it's interesting, too, because I was talking to a friend who asked if that was my experience with my siblings, and it actually wasn't. Um, that is not uh, something that I'm necessarily writing from a place of experience. I wanted the book to ultimately show a vast sort of array of experiences with the concept of faith and with religion. And Manny comes from a particular one. Elena is coming from a, a very specific emotional place of actually wanting stability and wanting a family, which is a very common thing for people who are adopted, especially people who are in the foster care system, where they want this sense of community that they see other people get. So I wanted to still write her from that place where even if she clashes with Manny, I hope that the reader can still see why she's doing what she's doing and that makes a sort of in sense to her internal logic. So it affects their relationship because sadly, they actually both want the same thing. And I think that for me, that's the greatest tragedy of the book is the two of them actually both really want stability. They want love and they want a family. It's just that the way that they go about it is very, very different. It is also, in Elena in particular, is a chance was a chance for me to also examine that part of myself and the things that I was willing to do in order to feel accepted as a kid. What were the things that I believed? What were the behaviors I saw in adults that I was like, that's fine. That person definitely deserved that. You know, like that sort of behavior that I now in hindsight was like, oh no, like you felt bad at the time, but you found a way to sort of reconcile it and explain it away with logic or the logic that I had at the time. So, you know, even in that sense, I would say there's a part of me in Elena, but it is teenage me. It is, it's a much younger Mark who wasn't able to sort of define why I was feeling bad about the things that I was seeing. Instead, like Elena, I always looked for, you know, the reasoning that would explain why certain things were good and certain behaviors were good, particularly in, in reconciliation. Um, and even reconciliation itself is based on two different sort of camps I went to as a teenager. Um, and so there were a lot of those experiences are drawn from that. And my reaction to seeing things and being like, that seems wrong, 
but here's why it's right and why I'm going to accept it. So I, th yeah, I think that is the the big reason why there eventually is such a huge chasm between the two of them. Um, so kind of a bit of a spoiler, but not saying what the spoiler is. The twist at the end of this book really surprised me. How do you go about? Yeah. Oh God, that one I'm really proud of. I just got tagged in a review this morning that was like, basically said the same thing, like in no universe did I ever expect this. I don't, I will also say that I tend, I have a lot of plot twists throughout my book, but I'm not the kind of person who believes that you shouldn't be able to guess a plot twist. I think this is the one exception where I actually tried to do that. I think that if you can guess a plot twist, it just means you're paying attention and you've picked up the little clues along the way. And while there are an absolutely astonishing number of clues in hindsight to what is going on, I think the trick with this was, oh, this is a hard one to talk about without actually spoiling it. I will say I did not think of the plot twist in this book until very, very late in the game. I had written about three quarters of the book in April, 2021. So almost two years ago. And I was writing what was about the second draft at that point. We had redone a whole thing. And I was sitting there and I was dealing with this problem between this character who doesn't even exist in this draft anymore. And I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, the idea just dropped in my head. And I was like, there's this thing that happens a lot of times when you're stuck in the middle of a draft, you've been writing for a long time where you see a shiny new idea and you're like, oh, I want to go chase after that. But I was like, look, I'm three quarters of the way through this book. Maybe this isn't a good idea. So I have one of my best friends is my friend, Sarah Gailey, who is also um, both a young adult and an adult writer who writes a lot of speculative fiction. So I texted them and was like, hey, uh, they had known the plot of the book at that, what, of what it had been at that point. And I was like, can you tell me if this is a shiny idea or a good idea? So I told them and they were like, if you don't immediately rewrite this book to make that the point of the story, we're not friends anymore. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I called my agent and was like, uh, hi. So I had this idea, is this a good idea? And they were also mainly along the same lines of like, this is so good, you have to do it. So my last uh, email was to my editor and I said, hey, I thought of this idea and I think it's the thing we've been struggling with, you and I, as we edit this book. And the same thing that it was like, you, you have to do this. So I rewrote the book in like three weeks it was absurd and that was the thing it came together so quick once I knew that was the thing that was anchoring it um generally speaking this is the only time this ever happened I usually figure out that stuff during the outlining before I've ever drafted anything this was just the only time where it took me writing almost two full drafts for my brain to be like nope that's actually where you want to go um I will just say that the thing that really solidified it for me is the twist is about how for some people, people like the people in reconciliation, you will never be good enough for them. And it is the thing that I realized as an adult about my childhood is that for some people, you'll just never be good enough. And that was sort of the anchoring theme that like solidified this plot twist in my head and was like, okay, commit to it now. Um, and I think I did. <laughs> it's very unhinged and a lot, it is a lot uh, but I'm I'm really proud of it. You've mentioned it a bit in this interview, but I understand that some of your books started out as different genres. For mm -hmm. example, Anger is a Gift as a sci-fi trilogy and went to yes. contemporary. Do you find um, you change your outline a lot as you write and is that your doing or publishers? 
it's always my doing with the with the gentle nudging of my editor. And I say gentle as in not once as my, well, let me back up and also say every one of my YA books has never started in the right genre. None of my middle grade has ever had this problem. I've rewritten and reworked them, but they've always stayed in the same genre and the the changes were much smaller. I don't know what that says about me that I can't seem to write a YA book correct the first time, but so Anger is a Gift started off as science fiction. Each of Us a Desert started off as far future dystopia and was actually set on Earth. Um, and now it's a secondary world fantasy. Somehow Into the Light was like a supernatural comedy and changed into this nightmare that it is now. And the great thing about my relationship with my editor is she will often just, I, I explain it to people that she opens doors. She doesn't ever tell me, here's what you have to do. Here's what I suggest. Excuse me. With Into the Light, a thing that she said that just really got stuck in my brain is when we I turned in that early outline where it was a comedy. She said, I like this story. It's funny. I think you do make the point that you want to kind of make. But every time I felt like you were about to tell the truth about an experience or about the world, you veered off into a joke. And she's like, I think you are using humor in a way to not tell the story you want to. Would you consider maybe dialing back on the humor. And she didn't say, don't make it a comedy. She was like, there are just times where I feel like you're not telling the truth. And from that, the outline got revised over the uh, probably like six months or so back and forth to pretty close to the version that I began to write that I then rewrote again. So yeah, in YA, I do. I am hoping this next book does not do that because it is a lot of work. I think this took like four years to write and I would rather not take four years to write a book again um so yeah it only seems to be the case in young adult fiction yeah and do you find the advice above is helpful always yes I am not the kind of creator who creates in a vacuum and doesn't let other people in I have many author friends who I bounce ideas off of who I talk through plot twists who I talk through writer's block my relationship with my editors, you know, across all seven of my books, at this point I have one, two, three, four different editors. I, I I think because I came from journalism and being a pop culture writer where you are writing high volume of things and they're constantly being edited, I let go of my ego a long time ago. And I when I get an edit letter or when I get edits, I, I know this doesn't mean you're a bad writer. It doesn't mean this thing is bad. We are trying to make it better. So I love the collaborative nature of editing actually editing is probably my favorite part of writing a lot of people like drafting i find drafting's hard you just gotta it, you gotta make it up from nothing that's so hard like i feel like editing is a lot easier for me because of my experience with it so yeah i love collaborating i love bouncing ideas off other people i i definitely do not like i am definitely not the kind of creator who creates alone if that makes sense mm -hmm. You narrated Anger is a Gift. Yes. How did you find that experience? And can we expect you oh my to God. narrate more books of yours? I have been asked since then, and I have actually turned it down. Oh, boy. I, I, I'm not going to say I'll never do it again, but it would take a lot for me to do it again. It is very difficult. And as someone who's done a lot of you know, public speaking who, you know, had a whole YouTube channel re reacting to books for a while. 
I, I'm used to reading aloud, but the process of recording an audiobook is so unnatural. You have to speak so much slower. You're in this booth that has no air conditioning that's super hot. You have to think about what foods you have to eat throughout the day because you can't up, have an upset stomach or a growling stomach because the microphone is so sensitive. It picks it up. Um, it was it was a very exhausting and grueling experience. And so since then, I, I've always been like, let me have a professional do it. That being said, I think if the project was right, I would do it again. I I think it was also lucky in that when Anger is a Gift came out, I was living in New York. So I actually got to go to, I think it was John Marshall Media, who was, oh gosh, uh, based in New York City. So I got to go into like an actual professional studio. So my engineer was amazing and so helpful throughout the process, but I definitely, it would have to be a special project for me to do it again. Right now, I'm very much okay with professionals doing it. So your next book is The Sun and the Star with Rick Ryder. Yes. You just announced the tour. Um, what are you most excited for about on the tour? Oh, I, I miss touring, first of all. And my actual, my tour for Into the Light should be announced in the next day or two. I, you know, Anger's a Gift came out in 2018 and it was two and a half years later before my second book came out. And that was, you know, September, 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. And so I haven't gotten to have any of that experience in years. And while there's been an occasional book festival since... I think the first one I did was like late 2021 and school visits. I haven't been able to do that. So that, I think that getting to be back out on the road and to travel and to meet people every day, I miss that a lot. I am also excited because I'm just really excited to interact with Percy Jackson fans because they're some of the funniest people I've ever had that chance of, you know, experiencing online, like the memes they tag me in, the jokes they make. And so I'm really excited to be around that energy and just getting to spend more time with Rick as well, because we wrote everything and did everything online, you know, from Zoom meetings through emails. So we've only met once um, throughout all of this. So actually just getting to spend time with Rick is going to be great. Um yeah, I just, I don't know. I can't wrap my head, mind around it. I was telling a friend, I did get to have, I finally got to have a book launch for You Only Live Once, David Bravo, my last middle grade book, which came out in September last year. And there was like 20 some odd people there. And I was so happy and I had friends there. And, you know, like the the goal of having a book event is that when someone who you don't know and you don't know where they came from shows up. So there were people like that there. It was very exciting. So I'm going from that to like gas south arena here in atlanta and i'm like ah uh, i don't think my brain has quite accepted that it's happening uh i'm just gonna have as much fun as humanly possible while it's happening though yeah so with that said talking about upcoming books can you give us any clues as to what you are currently working on Yes, I start literally tomorrow. We'll start drafting my eighth novel, which will be my next middle grade, which should be announced pretty soon. It is a supernatural-esque comedy slash drama. I think a lot of the jokes that I wanted to make in what was the original draft of Into the Light are now making it into this middle grade. Um, it's about a girl who's dealing with grief Um and the way it manifests is she is convinced that she as a person is haunted because every apartment she moves to with her mom ends up being haunted and she thinks she is attracting ghosts. 
Um, and so it's it's that plus Ghostbusters plus a little bit of Stranger Things. Um, I'm very excited about it. And then I also have, I'm working on an outline for my next young adult novel, which will also be speculative fiction. And I don't think I should say much about it yet, only because I have this bad luck of, you know, being like, this is what my book is about. And then the whole genre changes a year in. So I'm just being careful, but I do have an idea and it's ridiculous and absurd and is also not going to be a straightforward book, but I do hope it's actually going to be shorter. I do want my next YA book to be very short. And I think I have a pretty solid idea. So uh, those are the next two projects that I have to finish this year. So I'm very excited. So I do have more, more book stuff. Any out. expected release date? No. Well, no, it's so early. We don't even, I know like a season, like I know my next middle grade should be out sometime late next year, maybe early 2025, but no, at this point they don't even slot them in. And then the YA, I just want to get it in before the year because I know I'll need a lot of editing because my YA books always go up and down. So I'm like, let me just get it in early so I don't have to worry about it. Oh, uh, but no, we don't even have a month at this point. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I've got two more questions. Which okay. I think you're going to slot in. So you talked about um, your agent, but how did you actually get your agent? Oh my gosh. Okay. This is the best story. I had, I queried, I think the total was 43 agents total over the course of a year and a half. And almost all of those were rejections. So I actually queried my agent, Dong Wan Song, in the summer of 2016 and got what is basically called a rewrite and resubmit, which is your writing is great. I think this is a great idea, but it's not working for me yet. But I don't want to say no outright. And their advice was, this was when Anger as a Gift was still a, the, what I saw as part of a science fiction trilogy, you know, dystopian, very much in that vein. And they gave me this amazing advice that was, you have a, a great science fiction narrative, this, this trilogy idea, you know, you also have a contemporary novel dealing with contemporary issues that we don't see a whole lot of, pick one of those books and write it. Because right now you have two books living in one book and it's too much going on. And that is the reason I ended up pursuing the contemporary route with Anger as a Gift. So fast forward to January of 2017, I was a guest of honor at a science fiction and fantasy convention. It was wonderful. I read what was, I had just recently finished a draft of Anger as a Gift, turning it into a contemporary I read it at this convention. There were maybe eight people in this room. And one of them was E.K. Johnston, who I had known for years, who was a, a young adult, um, and maybe adult. They also write for Star Wars. They told their eight their uh, editor about the book. Their editor reached out to me and Don Juan was at that convention. And I walked up to them and was like, hey, this is happening. I don't know what to do this seems like a lot. And they were like, oh, did you finish doing the draft? And I was like, yeah, I was going to send it to you sometime, you know, this year. I just, I didn't know if it was ready to go out. And they were like, well, just send it to me. I'm going to give it a read. And then I can give you some advice, you know. And at that time, they weren't trying to become my agent. So they read it on the flight home. And I get an email at like, I, I should find it again. But something at like three in the morning that was like, I just finished the book. I want to fight you. Call me, like, I'm going to call you in the morning. And so the next morning they called and offered representation. And we're like, this is amazing. We edited the book in 48 hours, just came up with a new title, submitted it, and it within three weeks it sold. So it was like I went from, you know, a year and a half of trying, trying, trying to in the span of less than a month, everything happened. It was, it was a lot. 
But I'm very thankful to them because their instincts were right about it being contemporary and their instincts were right about who to sell the book to. And so they have been very, very wonderful to my career. Lastly, where can readers find you online? I go by Mark Does Stuff on Instagram and Twitter. Don't add me on Facebook. I will never respond because I just don't use space. It's the, I've been thinking of deleting it because I log into it so rarely. Uh, but Mark Does Stuff on Instagram and Twitter, and I'm on them both. There is a Mark Does Stuff TikTok. That's just my account I use for saving videos. I do not post TikTok videos. That is, I'm too old for that. I'll never get, you know, it's not my thing. But yeah, Mark Does Stuff on Twitter and on Instagram. Thanks so much for agreeing to do this interview. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank and you for being my maybe first. Maybe I can interview. have you back when The Sun and the Star comes out. I would, yes, let's do that. Uh, actually, I would love to do that. But again, I want to thank you for literally being my first Into the Light interview. These questions are amazing and it's just really cool to be able to talk about this book. So I appreciate the support. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you.